Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? Inclusivity. It's this wonderful word about how we include people as a, like as a default that regardless of who they are, as long as they're not out to create harm, because of the fact that they're human, because of the fact that they are working with us or collaborating with us or in communication with us, they belong. They are included. Which brings me right to my guest for today. Michelle Russon is a PhD candidate. She is getting her PhD in hospitality administration at the Conrad Hilton College at the University of Houston. And her focus is in uh, researching inclusivity and inclusiveness. I met her through LinkedIn because there was a great article about the research that she's doing and what she's finding out about the power of gender and where we include people and where we don't include people. She spent a lot of her career actually in the restaurant and hospitality industry and worked her way up in the restaurant industry and then decided she had an experience actually with some folks who were not being so inclusive. And so that then propelled her to go on and get her PhD and really start helping students and others who are going to be in administration in the future world of hospitality to think differently about how we include others in what we're creating. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you very much. So happy to be here. Awesome. So happy to have you. I'm so happy we got connected and that your team said that it would be great if you were the spokesperson around this. Because as you know, and as we all know, in the world of research, very little is done as one person. Because if we're up to something big, we need other people with us. And you, Michelle, are up to some big stuff. So what's something that you've become aware of that you or others weren't paying attention to before? And what's been the cost of that not paying attention? Well, first, I started in the restaurant industry as a server uh, when I was 18 and I was working my way through college. And I didn't really, as an employee, wasn't really paying attention to who exactly my boss was because I was young. (laughs) As I started to move up, I started to pay a lot more attention. And I realized when I was in the management team, more often than not, I was the only woman sitting at the table. Hmm. This caused me to realize that 
the women who I was working with, because in the restaurant industry, we're about 70% female on the entry level positions. Mm. They're not being represented at the top because we just have different experiences than what uh, the men who were sitting at the table had. And I was fortunate enough, they started to listen to me a little bit more. Once I tried to explain to them that the cost of not paying attention is we're losing these fantastic employees to go somewhere where they feel represented. Awesome. So now you are at the University of Houston getting your PhD in inclusivity and also in gender, right? That's part of what you're focused on. Tell me some more about that and tell me some about this research that you've just recently completed. Absolutely. So first, my dissertation, which is the broader picture, I guess is what we can call it. (laughs) My dissertation is on the glass cliff, and it's looking at people who are not just women, but identify as a gender minority. These people are typically pushed out of management teams because they don't fit society's norm on what should be a manager. Mm Mm-hmm. So that led me to think, well, who decides on who's getting promoted? Well, these managers are. So let's look at some fairness. So this is one of the research projects I just completed, the one that you were able to find, and I'm so glad you did. This was actually about promotion fairness and just looking at someone in the hotel industry was the experiment that I did and with my uh, two of my dissertation advisors. Mm -hmm. And what we were looking at was... Because the accommodation force, so we're thinking just hotels here, the entire segment, 58% are female, Hmm. but only 12% are in leadership positions. Wow. Big gap. Big gap. (laughs) So we're like, hmm, something's going on here. Well, I came across another study that said men are offered 30% more management positions than women. Wow. So I wanted to look at the fairness in the process. Mm -hmm. And we found out that... Uh, managers actually perceive it to be more fair when women are promoted over an equally qualified man. So then we started looking at why. Mm-hmm. And it's we think it's because it appears to be, which we would like to replicate the study again to, <laughs> you know, to confirm. Yeah. <laughs> but what we think is because there's such a gap between the actual representation of women in the for, in the workforce compared to the women in leadership. It's like, well, wow, we need to be more fair and offer and have more representation of women. So that way we can see that we're represented from the bottom up. And then they can also see that it has a culture that supports women. If you don't think when you're being hired on that as a woman or that you'll be supported, Mm -hmm. then you likely won't even apply to that company in the first place. And then these other companies are going to be missing out on potentially great candidates because they're lacking the well-inclusivity of wanting to support everyone, not not just men, not just women, but everybody. That's such a, it's such an important concept. And I know that you have been also uh, doing some work in the arena of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which of course, Mm -hmm. and belonging and, you know, there've been other words that have gotten tacked on to the whole world of diversity. And 
it's one of the things that I do as well professionally is help organizations actually create a an organizational culture or the ways inside of an organization that support inclusivity, that support it being great for me to be a seven foot tall black transgender woman. And the organization is interested in my experience and what that brings and what that difference in perspective leads to. And I know that one of the things that you have discovered is that there's some, again, there's some gaps, uh, some places where we're not paying so much attention. So uh, tell me some more about that. Yes, there's definitely a lot of gaps because no two people, whether however you identify However, you know, as a gender, as race, ethnicity, no matter what, however you identify, no two people are going to have exactly the same experience. So we need to make sure that we're able to have someone that everyone feels that they're able to talk to, especially in management, because Mm -hmm. if you don't feel comfortable being able to talk to someone, and sometimes that's just as simple as having another woman to talk to, (laughs) then you won't feel like you're valued at that organization. So it's very important for us to be able to provide more experiences that other people can relate to. Sometimes I'll have an experience that more similar to what a gay man's been through than what a straight man has, mm-hmm. or a gay woman might identify a little bit more with a male manager. It just depends. So we need to have someone for everyone. And even if it's just somebody else there in the organization too, that's kind of a little bit like me that I can relate to, it's going to mm-hmm. create a more positive experience. That brings up for me, there've been all of these studies that show that when we have, quote unquote, a friend at work, that we are so much more engaged. And so in the work that you have done on inclusivity, have you noticed any things that are important or not like I remember when I first started, when I made the transition, I spent my first 17 years working in nonprofit management and then went to work for a Fortune 200 company. And there were a lot of things that were different and there were so many things that were exactly the same. That was the part that really surprised me. All the things that were exactly the same. (laughs) And this idea kept coming up when I was at work for the big Fortune 200 company about how important it was to have a friend at work. And originally, I thought that's such an interesting and kind of odd frame that this company cares if I have a friend. And of course, it's a friend at work, which can be very different from like your BFF. Those could have very different qualities of relationship in them. So I'm really curious about what you have found about this concept of having people at work that are your friends and what that, how that connects to inclusivity and how that connects to the, in general, the research that you're doing or what it is that you're up to creating. Absolutely. Uh, That's actually a great question. And that's one I was just looking at for my dissertation. (laughs) So good timing on that. (laughs) Actually, yes. So I know it seems like kind of a trivial thing, Mm -hmm. but it's actually incredibly important for someone to have a friend at work. The reason why is because it increases your satisfaction 
but not just that, it increases your in-group representation. Mm -hmm. So with the in-group representation, so when you have these people that are all in this one in this one group, you know, we can call them the popular group, if you will, right. but it's not just them. The cool kids, <laughs> the cool kids right? <laughs> um, as long as you have someone there who you can relate to and talk to, even it's just about, you know, you got a frustrating phone call from your kid's school because your kid's acting up, or, you know, you got a text message from your boyfriend and he's being all weird or whatever the case may be. Just have someone to vent to for half a second. Mm-hmm releases stress, it releases tension. And one of the re- the thoughts is that people who don't have that at work actually get pushed out because people see them as an outsider. So they get pushed out of their work environment. So in order to be inclusive, you have to have a friend at work. That's <laughs> basically where it comes from. Interesting. So... I don't expect you to have an answer to this. I'm curious if you have thoughts, but then like, then the next thing that comes up for me is, so then how do we ensure that everybody gets to have a friend at work and how do we ensure that we're setting up the conditions that have that be great for people and have it be, I mean, I was talking to a client the other day and they were talking about, they feel like they're not making enough time inside their organization because we're all virtual right now. Like all of those little conversations that would happen throughout the day aren't happening. And so how do you ensure that people have enough of that sort of casual contact where those friendships really get made? I don't know if I have the perfect answer for this. I don't know if there is <laughs> one at all. <laughs> if you have the perfect answer for this, put it in the chat for the podcast. Right. <laughs> or blog about it or do a TED talk on it. Like, yeah. I, I like this is, this is a, a big question. And as I said, I'm not looking for you to have the perfect answer to it, Michelle. I'm just, I'm curious about what thoughts you have about it. I do have a thought. I've read actually some papers on mentorships. Mm. And I think actually people feel as though they are more welcome and included and can create more natural relationships through informal mentorships than formal ones. Formal is still better than having no mentorship program. (laughs) Okay. So So. I've got this straight. So it's great to have a mentor and it's better if it's an informal mentor. So it would go like informal mentor best, formal mentor in the middle, and then no mentorship worse. Yes. Cool. Um, And that can be across genders. It can be across gender identities. It can be across races. It doesn't matter. It's just one way that I think that we can improve the mentorship program would be to match people, have everyone take like a questionnaire when they're getting hired about what their interests are. If you can match people on like say I love football and you love football. So we're matched together that can create, you know, some sort of, you know, just like small thing that we can talk about. Yeah. That's um, so interesting. Cause like often in a work situation, they're going to like formally set up a mentorship between you and me, because you know a lot about the hospitality industry. And I know bupkis about the hospitality industry. And so you're going to get to be my mentor and move me along in the industry. But what you're saying is that it's actually so much better if it's something that has nothing to do with work. Yeah, because whether you know a lot about the work environment or very little, you can still learn from someone who's good at their job. 
and you're going to learn better if you can be at ease. Even if we both, you know, just have toddlers, then you can talk about that or whatever, something small that you have in common. It's going to be a lot easier to have a natural friendship that way. Oh, I love it. So I should be looking for people who love scuba diving. And yeah, that's so interesting. I can set you up with my friend, Courtney. She loves to scuba dive too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, scuba diving is one of those things that I came to, relatively speaking, late in life. I got certified to dive when I on my 40th birthday, actually. And so, but, and it's become a big passion and something I've kind of, fallen out of. So, so I'm looking for some new uh, scuba buddies. So we can actually travel again. I know. Right. So Michelle, if you had a magic wand and you could have people pay attention to one thing, either what we've been talking about or something else, what would that be? Like, what would your big microphone be? Well, that's a great question. So many things. (laughs) Right? Yeah, they're right. Can I have 17 big things? I know. (laughs) I would probably say it's probably going to be along the lines of social of a social movement here. Mm, Great. Bring it. But if we're looking at like things that have been it's been a passion of mine since before the social movement of hashtag BLM or hashtag uh, me too. Mm-hmm. We need to pay attention to what's going on within our own organization and make sure everybody feels that they're being treated fairly, not discriminated against and uh, that they're not in a quid pro quo situation. They need to feel as though they're making a difference at their organization and not that they're being manipulated to do so. I love that. And one of the things that I often work with organizations around is how can we as an organization be a mission-driven organization? And so if what we're up to is uh, serving people food in a restaurant or having them have a place to lay their weary heads as a hotel. You know, what's the experience that we want people to have? What's really, what's our bigger purpose? So that then if I am sweeping the floor or I'm bringing them food or I'm making the bed or I'm greeting them at the desk as they walk in or I'm answering the phone, that I get to be grounded in what are we about? What are we creating that I can also embrace as my purpose? And I know that, you know, for folks of your generation, the millennials and the Gen Zs coming after them, like feeling like your work has a purpose and feeling like you're in it for something very different than just a paycheck is so critical. Do you have any tips or tricks or thoughts about that and about if there are listeners out there who are like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a great idea. How the heck do I get started with that? What's anything that someone could do to get started? Well, when I teach human resource management, the first Uh thing I tell my students is it starts at the top. So at the top, you have to buy into it. If you as the top management team, you as the owner, you don't buy into your own mission or you don't have a clear enough one, that's going to be where it starts. Once you have a clear enough mission and you're passionate about it, it's really easy to get other people passionate about it. So as long as you buy into your own mission, I think that it'll be really easy to get other people motivated if you can just explain why. 
I love that. And that that gets to Simon Sinek's uh, terrific book, Start With Why. If you haven't read it, pick up a copy. We'll put a link in the URL. And I mean, we'll put we'll put the URL in the podcast notes. So I completely agree. I completely agree. It starts at the top. And what if you're not at the top? What if you are just a regular frontline employee and the top doesn't seem that interested in that? It occurs to me that while it would be less awesome, I could still, as a frontline person, I could decide, all right, what are we up to and how am I going to create that as something bigger than myself so that I get those things that I'm excited about and create purpose for myself? All right, if this damn organization isn't going to do it, I'm just going to do it. Can that work? Yes, I think so. It's... It depends on if it's that if it's that important to you. But yeah, I mean, and you can even create change in your own organization if you really want to. But it all starts with why, just like you yeah. said. So it's what's important to you. How are you going to show that to other people, to guests, to other employees? And then think about how, if you just start with, this is really important to me. So I'm going to act every, uh, this way every day, I'm going to act ethically every day and with the best standards and with the best morals, other people will feed off that energy. So I think it's, I think you can, I think it's a lot more difficult to do it that way from the bottom up, but it can be done. I think. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, so if I'm a hotel worker and I decide I want to make sure that our people, our guests have a five-star experience, even if we're only a two-star hotel. And then you start showing up in a way that has guests having a five-star experience. I mean, I, I remember the first vacation my now husband, then boyfriend and I took was uh, to Jamaica. And we were not staying at a five-star hotel, family-owned business, but man, like they treated everybody, guests, other employees, everybody, like we were all family and like the good kind of family, the family that you're like, oh man, this is super fun hanging out with y'all. And, and it was just, it was such a joyful experience. And I think about that and how, I mean, I'm sure that that was one of those things that came from the top. And I would think that if I was a frontline employee and I just started showing up that way, A, I'd be getting lots of good reviews and by uh, guests and it would start to rub off on other people. It does. So I have, as you were just saying this, I was just thinking about my, like when I was the assistant general manager at the restaurant, Mm -hmm. we empowered our employees, especially those who interacted with guests to do what they needed to do to make the guests happy. And I had a couple servers that just grabbed onto that and loved it, loved every second of it. But I also let our servers be very individualistic. However, they wanted to greet the table. They were allowed to, as long as you know, you went through these five steps. I don't care how you get through them. You do them your way, but we need to make sure that this happens. So I had two servers who would be requested by name on every single day on every single shift because people loved them so much but it just came naturally to them. It was something that they wanted to live by. It was something like they did a personal touch for every single table. They would get to know their regulars and ask about their kids and Mm -hmm. their pets and everything else. So that was just the way that they wanted to run it. And let me tell you, I guarantee you, if I pulled up that website right now, they would have (laughs) some sort of awesome (laughs) comments by name. 
but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the restaurant that's my that's my husband's favorite restaurant, which is an expensive restaurant. So we don't go very often, like his birthday and sometimes anniversaries. And and we have a favorite server at that restaurant. And we ask for her by name. She knows our kids. We're friends on Facebook. <laughs> and like I generally leave, you know, it's his birthday, so I'm paying the tab. I mean, I leave her like a $100 tip. You know, it's an expensive restaurant. We've dropped some money, but, you know, that's a good tip. We often will buy her a glass of wine or give her a glass of wine of the bottle that we're drinking because we feel we have this feeling of connection Mm -hmm. with her which is kind of then back to that inclusivity and friend at work. Like when you feel connected to people in whatever it is that you're up to, you have a different level of investment and it comes through in your performance and it comes through in your engagement and customers and other people tend to notice it. Absolutely. They really do. And I was, uh, today was, you know, my first lecture of the semester. Uh-huh. So I walked, I, you know, started, started out with, well, why is human resource management important? People are kind yeah. of just staring at me like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Why is it important? Yeah. So I'm like, just think about it. Have you ever walked into a restaurant? I said, maybe not recently, but you know, right? at some point in your life, I'm sure you have. And you can tell the difference in good human resource management versus bad. And I said, that feeling that you get in a restaurant where you just feel the love that's there between the employees and projected to you, that's what good human resource management does. And that's why we need to know it. Awesome. And the more that we can be inclusive and welcoming and create the conditions where it's awesome for everybody to show up as who they are. You know, I grew up in the seventies and started work in the eighties. And at that point in time, like there was this weird idea that we were one person at home and somebody else at work. And one of the things that I think is so great that has happened over the last 10 years in particular is that there's become this understanding that we don't, we can't really check ourselves at the door. Like we are who we are. And the more that we can show up authentically, the more that we can show up as our best selves, as our most open, as our most engaging, as our most charismatic, as our most enthusiastic. That's when we get the best results from people. And that's when organizations work well. That's when organizations are the most resilient. That's when they're the most agile. That's when they're the most profitable, when they've got the best ability to retain and recruit top talent. So I love it that this is where you're putting your your energy and your focus and helping uh, the world of work understand about, and, and in particular, the world of hospitality, understand better about the importance of inclusivity. So we're getting to the end of our time together. Is there one last thing where you would love uh, to leave people? Is there one last thought or idea or concept or just something that uh, where you would love to leave people today? That's kind of my final thoughts are just love the person you are and love other people for who they are. Because if other people, if you can love yourself for who you are, you can love anybody else for who they are. And so just keep that in mind, no matter where you are, whether that's at work, at home, in the grocery store, fighting for toilet paper these days. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, we're back to that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can just, it's not hard to love each other. So let's just do that. Awesome. Uh, I love you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you for uh, thank you for your brilliance. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for helping to transform the hospitality industry. It has been a joy <laughs> getting to know you and having an opportunity to interact with you today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been you fun. You're so welcome. <laughs> this is Janine Hamner Holman, and this has been the cost of not paying attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I'm beginning to think I'm beginning